0: Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, as we continue, we continue our series here, and you can stand up if you you can, let's read God's infallible word, Colossians chapter 3, starting verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and here's what we are to dress, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, go to Facebook and make it public. Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all this, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ reign in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you or among you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, very similar to 1 Peter 4, last Lord's Day. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, chapter 4, verse 2, as Paul turns his attention once again to the congregation, and he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. You may be seated. And we have been walking through this series on the church, and the feedback I'm receiving from you, it's, it's very exciting. I'm glad that it has been building you up. And the most amazing thing is that after all these sermons, I have people coming to me and say, I want to become a member in this church. That's jaw-dropping. It's like, are you serious? Yes, you are. (laughs) Yeah, people are serious. People who want to become members here after hearing all these duties and responsibilities and privileges. They're excited about that. And I bet Ariella, baby Ariella, is excited about this series also. And that's why she's not coming out. She knows that if she's born, she's going to miss some Sundays, right? Honestly, let's pray for Zach and Clara. That's the week. The Lord willing, it's coming. Father, we lift up Zach and Clara and Ariella before your throne of grace. We pray your blessing upon them, Lord. Bless those who are going to be helping with the birth. We pray for the baby. We pray if it's your will that she would be saved and become a a mighty servant of Christ. Bless Zach and Claire. Give them joy and comfort these next few days. I mean spiritual comfort for Clara. And help us as a church to be praying for them and lifting them up with our words, with our actions. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This week I came across a very interesting journal, a theological journal. And the author of this journal, he observed, he wrote, Religious Individualism. Religious individualism possessed a tremendous challenge to Christianity. And that's very interesting. I was thinking about individualism. What is individualism? Think about it. It's the philosophy, it's a worldview in which the individual is the center of all things. And you contrast with Christianity. So I even circled my notes as I was reading and thinking individualism, Christianity. You cannot mix the two together, it's the opposite. Christianity is dying to yourself, living to serve others, living for others. Individualism is all about you. But that's our culture. It's permeated with individualism. Me, me, me. So he says, religious individualism possesses tremendous challenge to Christianity in the Western world today. Not just because it leads people to discount the importance of the church. And here is key. I completely agree with him but because it makes it virtually impossible for them to comprehend the meaning of the church. Yes, once it's all about me, you cannot even understand the body, the church, people, a community, fellowship. And this individualistic way of viewing things has been infiltrating in the church, has been creeping, I would not even say unnoticed, because it's pretty noticeable, And you think about even reading the New Testament. Most people, they're going to read the Bible. and Let's just to the New Testament. And they read as if it was all for them in an individualistic way. They forget that actually all these things here are written to a body, to a church, to a group of people. And as I was thinking about this series, especially as responsibilities, privileges, duties of Christians, and this way of thinking... I, I, today, I want, us, I want us to think about four or five crucial aspects of the Christian life that have been tremendously, tremendously infected by the individualistic way of thinking. So, preaching, singing, praying, and the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. So, here's how this individualistic, self-centered view of life has been affected, this, affecting these areas. So, in relation to preaching... More and more people who profess to be Christians, they are more enthusiastic about the podcasts, the preaching on the internet, than the preaching in a local church. They are more passionate about podcast preachers than their local church pastors. And that's something very common now, especially among Reformed people. Two groups, Reformed people and Prosperity Theology. You meet a lot of these people... And they're either, I'll say both cases, a lot of them are at home listening to sermon after sermon, but they're never part of a church. So you know a lot of people in in the prosperity movement, so they're all watching these prosperity preachers from home and sending money from home. They're never in a church. And the Reformed groups, all these Reformed people who are so against the charismatic, the new Pentecostals, they're all doing the same thing. They're all at home. Debating theology on the internet. That's the only thing they do. Listening to sermon after sermon, sermon after sermon. But never involved in a church. They don't go to church, but they're always listening to preaching on the internet. Tapes, back in the day. CDs. And that's a worthless life. Worthless life. Because you have all this knowledge, but it's worthless. Because the whole point of listening and learning is in the community It's in the context, context of a local church. So we have this with the preaching. A lot of people are very enthusiastic about their online preachers. And they don't care about preaching in their own local church. How about music? Singing. How many people choose church based, based on their preferences of music style? Why? Because it's about me. I'm going to choose a church where I like the music. Oh, they don't have drums there. That's horrible because I love drums. They don't even have a guitar there. And the music, they sing those old hymns. There's dust in there just singing those hymns. So it's all about me. And they forget that singing in the church is a corporate activity, duty. How about praying? Prayer meetings. So many churches no longer have prayer meetings. Oh, People are too busy to pray. We can't have prayer meetings in the church. We can require people to attend prayer meetings. Some Christians spend years going to church on Sunday mornings, but they never attend a prayer meeting. Why? I can pray at home. Actually, I don't need to pray with other believers. And they forget that the commandments in the New Testament to pray is in the context of a local church. The church praying together. How about the ordinances? Baptism. I have seen baptism being performed wherever the person wanted, however the person wanted. So, sometimes you have people downtown Salem, and they are preaching, they are open-air preaching, and if somebody accepts the altar call, they just say, hey, let's go to the river and, and get baptized. No local church, no accountability, nothing. And that, and that has been, and you see that happening more and more with baptism. Some people think they don't need to be baptized. Actually, I don't need to be baptized. Who are you to tell me to be baptized? I don't like water, I don't want to go under the water, and I do what I want to do. And then you have also those people who think that they can choose however they want to be baptized, and by whoever they want to be baptized. So there was a trend where the fathers would baptize their kids without the local church. Without the church. You see, it's me, I want that. Why? Because you ignore completely the importance of the local church. Baptism entrance into the church. What church? A local church. Who is accepting you as a Christian? The members of a church. The same with the Lord's Supper. So many people, they partake of the Lord's Supper however they want, whenever they want. So especially with the... You see, there are a lot of things, they, they have good intentions. Especially families, you prioritize the family, the importance of the family. Importance of family devotion, or importance of the father being a leader in the home. But a lot of times they take to a whole other level. And suddenly the Father is performing the Lord's Supper at home. You don't need church anymore. Why? It's all about me. That's how I want. Who cares about the local church? The importance of doing that with the body. Wait for one another, Paul says. Why? Because it's the whole church celebrating together. Just a question for you to think. How about the Lord's Supper at weddings? Where is that in the Bible? Just a couple partaking of the Lord's Supper? I thought there was a church ordinance. For the whole body. But see it becomes just about us, about me. So I want to partake of the Lord's Supper right here from everyone. And nobody else is going to partake. So, so it's good for us to think about these things. What does the Bible say about that? Well, that's the key. always. What does the Bible say? The whole counsel of the Scriptures. Not one verse here, one verse there. But the whole counsel of the Scriptures. So we have been walking through this series. And we saw... I don't know if I have here. Yes, we saw that... The major, the supreme duty of every Christian, every church member is to love one another. Love one another, Christ says, as I loved you, as I have loved you. And we have been seeing, we have been looking at the scriptures to see how we are to love one another. We don't decide how we are going to love one another. God, who is all loving, God, who is all good, He defines how we love one another. And we saw the. One of the ways that we obey this commandment is by welcoming one another. Paul says, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. Number two, the sermon in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Is stimulating one another into love and good works. Is studying the person, examining the members in the church. And coming alongside to encourage to love and good deeds. Remember? It, it's, it's abnormal. You see, the New Testament makes no sense to Christianity in America nowadays. The whole point of coming to church is not just for you, it's for others. Encourage one another, study one another, stimulate one another. We saw also the duty of building one another up, not destroying one another, not gossiping about one another, but building one another up, sharing or giving our financial gifts in a sacrificial, generous and cheerful manner. And last Lord's Day, the fifth, the duty, the responsibility, the obligation of using our spiritual gifts to serve one another. And the key thing, as we are thinking about these duties, is to remember that all these duties are actually privileges. The more I welcome one another into my life, the more I become like Christ who welcomed us. The more I encourage one another, the more I become like Christ who is the greatest encourager. The more I build one another up, the more I look like Christ, who is building His church, the great builder. The more I give sacrificially, joyfully, the more I look like Christ, who gave all joyfully. And the more I serve one another, the more I look like Christ, who is the servant of all. So today you are going to be looking at some duties and responsibilities particularly related to the scheduled meetings of the church so today we're going to be looking at the duties and responsibilities of church members and Christians particularly in relation to church meetings scheduled meetings so we're going to be looking at the responsibility and privilege of listening to the preached words together the responsibility and privilege of singing together into one another responsibility and privilege of praying for one another and the responsibility and privilege of partaking the ordinances together. So you have your Bibles open, I believe, in Colossians chapter 3. And let me just give you a word of context here. The, the, the letter to the Colossians, one of the major occasions for Paul writing that letter is because there was false teaching in the church. Some false teaching about Christ. And what Paul does, especially in the beginning of the letter, is to do what? Have the theology. Heavy Christology, heavy doctrine about Jesus Christ, who Jesus is. That's always the solution for a false teaching. You bring the real deal. And that's what Paul is doing in Colossians. But when he comes to chapter 3, and you can see in your Bible, it's kind of a transition. It's a bridge now that's very normal in Paul's letters. He first lays out heavily all the doctrine, and then he kind of starts changing to the Practical application of those doctrines. And that's what chapter 3, Paul is doing. He's starting to move, he starts to transition into the practical aspect of all that doctrine. So you see in, in verses 1 through 4, look at Colossians 3 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And notice that he's giving our identity here. We have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Then he says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And here, once again, he gives the Christian identity. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Remember, privilege always brings what? Responsibility. Your privilege always brings responsibility. And that's a good thing. It's a very good thing. So, the privilege of being in Christ, the privilege of being raised with Christ, brings certain responsibilities. And here is the responsibilities. in verses 5, you can see in your Bibles, 5 through 9. he says, "...put to death therefore." This is therefore. It's therefore a reason. The therefore is always there for a reason. And it's always the context. Therefore, because of your identity in Christ... Put to death what's earthly. So here he's talking about the garments that you must remove from yourself and actually set in the fire. You need to burn all these garments of sexual immorality, lying to one another, deceiving one another, greed. Paul says, strong language, put to death these things. And then in verse 10 through 14, he starts to, to address the new garments that Christians must wear. So, look at verse 12. Notice, what is Paul giving us first? Put on then God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What is that? Your identity. Who you are defines what you do. So, we have all these people talking about church, books and books about the church, what the church should be doing, what the church should be actively promoting. But actually, we need to understand what the church is. Because what we are determines what we do and that's what Paul is doing here so he says God's chosen ones God chose you holy set apart and beloved amazing once again very similar to 1st Peter those are the titles that belong to Israel under the old covenant and now God is applying to the church the true Israel under the new covenant and then Paul says here's what you must be wearing Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Let me ask you, did you put on these garments this morning? Did you dress yourself with these garments this morning? Did you? Did you take time to dress yourself with these garments of compassionate hearts? It's our responsibility. It's our duty. It's imperative. It's not an option. Compassion for one another. Are you wearing these garments? when you came to church this morning every day those are the garments that's language of baptism most scholars believe that especially this section here would be read during baptism in the early church it's the language of putting away and then dressing yourself in something new just like in baptism so dress yourselves with compassionate hearts humility meekness patience we have the duty of dressing ourselves every single day with these garments. I was talking to the kids yesterday and night, and I said, every morning you put clothes on, you dress up, right? And they're like, oh yeah, they're all laughing. Like it would be embarrassing to go around with all your clothes. And I said, how many times we get up and we leave the home without dressing ourselves with these garments here? I said, one of the reasons why Daddy tells you girls to go to your bedroom and pray and read the Bible is because I want you to dress these garments. Garments of compassion. Garments of meekness. Garments of love. That's, that's what Paul tells last here. And love. Look at, at verse 14. And above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's like it's the thread that ties all these garments together. It's love. And then Paul moves on and he says, Let the word of Christ... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so Paul is turning, and, and here's another duty, another, another responsibility of church members, is to have the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. The, the verb is in the imperative, to dwell, literally to make a home, to live inside something. And the picture here that Paul is giving us is the, the gospel, the, the scriptures, the message of Christ crucified is not something sporadic in our lives, it must be dwelling in us, must be leading us, guiding us. Every single room, every single space must be filled with the message of Christ. That's why he says richly, we have there richly, in abundance pertaining to that which exists in large amount." People are to come to this church and everywhere they look around, every single conversation, every single space, they are to see. The message of Christ crucified in our church. That's what Paul is commanding. People are not to come here and say, Wow, those people are cool, man. Have you seen how they dress? They are not to come and say, Wow, they are pretty scholar there. Their minds are sharp. Wow. They are to come and see the message of the cross everywhere. In every single room. That's the picture that Paul has here for us. Everything we do is to be permeated and overflowing the message about Christ. You have the word of Christ there. But a better translation, the off there, the genitive, would be better translated as about, about Christ. And you see the among you or in you, the ESV has in you, literally means among you in the plural. Because it's the church, Paul is talking to the church. Let me ask you, how does the word about Christ dwell richly? Among us, how can you do that? Because it's a command. Paul is telling us, you better have the word of Christ, the word about Christ dwelling richly among you. And how how does that happen? There are many ways I would say: singing, praying, writing a note with a Bible verse, emails, text message. Those are different ways that we have the word of Christ dwelling richly among us. But as you walk through the New Testament. You know, even say the Old Testament. There is the primary way, not the only way, but the primary way in which God performs this accomplishment of having His Word dwelling among His people is through what? The preaching. It's through the preaching. The foolishness of preaching, Paul says. That's the primary, not the only, but that's the primary, the most important, most crucial way in which. God uses to have the word about Christ dwelling among His people richly. Giving a Bible to people is very important. I will not deny that. They remember Paul in Romans chapter 10. How will they believe if they don't hear? And how will they hear if there is no one what? To give a Bible to them? To preach. To preach. It's the preaching. The, the That's the means, that's the foolish means that God uses a man standing and proclaiming the message about Christ crucified. That's the means that God in His wisdom used to have His word permeating His people. And this responsibility of preaching is given to pastors in the context of local churches. So no other method of communicating the Bible is so prized and emphasized as preaching teaching, praying, singing, personal evangelism, they're all great ways. But in God's economy, preaching is the primary instrument of having the Word about Christ dwelling richly among His people. And where is the primary place to, to listen to the preaching? At your home? At your car? At the gym? No. The primary place is the local church. Jesus gave pastors, preachers to His church. Listening to other sermons and preachers can be a helpful supplement to hearing God's Word. But never, never a substitute. And that's what's happening all over the place. People are more excited about listening to a podcast of John Piper, John MacArthur, than listening to their faithful preachers in their local churches. The main preacher in your life is to be the man who stands behind the pulpit Sunday after Sunday, Sunday in your local church, he is the primary instrument of Jesus to cause His Word to dwell in you, richly. And let me tell you, there is nothing like face-to-face preaching. There is nothing, nothing like that. It's very interesting. Some people never get offended with people on the radio, on the YouTube, but when they hear the same message by his pastor or her pastor, that's offensive. Why? Because they face to face. So we have the duty, the responsibility of listening listening to the preaching together. And that's worship, that's corporate worship. Listening to God through the preaching is one of the most important acts of worship that the congregation does. Why? Because they are listening to God's words. Spurgeon said, For rightly to listen to the gospel is one of the noblest parts of the adoration of the Most High. It's a mental exercise when rightly performed. In which all the faculties of the spiritual man are called into devotional action, reverently hearing the word, exercise our humility, instruct our faith, irradiate us, irradiate us with joy, inflame us with love, inspire us with zeal, and lift us up towards heaven. True preaching is acceptable, is an acceptable adoration of of God by the manifestation of his gracious attributes. The testimony of his gospel, which preeminently glorifies him, and the obedient hearing of the revealed truth are an acceptable form of worship to the most high and perhaps one of the most spiritual in which the human mind can be engaged. When you come to church, one of your duties, responsibilities, is to listen to the preaching attentively, carefully. It's part of corporate worship. We are worshiping together. When we, you guys, some of you know, remember we had a whole series on expository listening. We spent a few months just talking about how to listen to the Word. Why? Because that's so important. How do you prepare yourself to listen to the Word? You are going to be held accountable by every single sermon you listen to. That's crazy. That's why we have here every Sunday before the preaching, Luke 8, 18. Therefore, pay careful attention how you listen. Why? Because we will be judged by how we listen to the preaching. We have all these people listening to tons and tons of sermons. Brother, be careful. Be careful. Because if you are hearing all these things and you are not doing anything, your judgment is even greater. You got to be careful. How, how do you prepare yourself to come and worship with the listening? Think about people who sleep throughout the preaching. How is that beneficial to the group? It's not. It's not. Why? Because we are supposed to worship together, listen together, use our minds together, so we can talk to each other together. When a congregation worships Jesus through attentive and careful listening, the members are filled with the Word of Christ. It starts to dwell among them. Nehemiah. It's very interesting, the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8. Come to the historical books in the Old Testament. Nehemiah chapter 8. And I'll wait for you to open there you have revival breaking in the community of israel and you remember when i preached through jonah true revival is always the fruit of true preaching and it's interesting because as you read nehemiah chapter 8 and you see all the people gathered as one man to do what to listen to listen to ezra what what is ezra doing what is ezra doing he's getting the book he's reading and then he's doing what explaining That's expository preach. You read and you explain the passage. That's exactly what Ezra is doing. And people here, they're all together, all together, listening to the preaching. Look at verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it all, and as he opened it, all the people stood. Reverence. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. Amen!" lift up in their ha- hands, and they bow their heads and worship the Lord with their faces. It's corporate worship. Preaching is not just one man is speaking. The congregation is listening. It's participating. Amen. It's a corporate worship. That's the opposite of what people think. So I don't care if I'm going to go to bed late Saturday night and be tired for service. Who cares if I fall asleep while he's preaching? Right? It's a corporate worship. Oh, so, Paul says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. So, we dress with these garments and become ready to worship Christ through the preached word, so that the word of Christ may dwell among us richly. And look what Paul says. Let the Word of Christ well in you, richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And some people love that. I love admonishing. I'm gifted with rebuking people. You know, I love teaching. Remember, you've got to be dressed first with the garments of humility, meekness, love. And the other thing that's interesting is that the whole body does that together. The admonishing, the teaching. If the church was more serious about that... I guarantee that we would need less and less Christian professional counselors. Professional Christian counselors. Why? Because the church should be doing that. And that's J. Adams, one of the greatest Christian counselors. That's his whole purpose. The Bible teaches to counsel one another, admonish one another, teach one another. So as the Word of Christ is dwelling among the people of God richly, they are the ones supposed to be doing this teaching, admonishing one another. And then he continues, and you have there the responsibility and privilege of singing together. Because he continues, verse 16, Colossians chapter 3, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. Once the Word of God is dwelling among the people of God richly, one of the manifestations of the indwelling of the Word, very similar to Ephesians 5, is the singing of God's people. We have the word psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I agree with O'Brien and he writes, Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs is a broad expression and includes Old Testament psalms, liturgical hymns, as well as spontaneous Christian songs. A lot of people come to this passage and they want to argue that actually Paul is saying that we can only sing psalms. I think the argument is weak. I understand what they are trying to do. And they argue about the sufficiency of the scriptures and uh, the sola scriptura, so we should just be singing the psalms. I mean, you need to study that. You need to think through these things. Is it true? I have a different take. I think here it makes very clear that there are different types of songs you should be singing. And besides that, if you're going to have a diet of singing just psalms, that's going to be pretty weak. Because that's before Christ, that's in the Old Covenant. It's not Trinitarian. We need to think through these things. And also, if you're going to take the argument that because of sola scriptura, because of the sufficiency of the scripture, we should only be singing the psalms, the inspired word, then you've got to cancel preaching and have reading. Because every preaching has man's words. So, Paul commands Christians to sing, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in their hearts. And it's very similar to Ephesians 5. You can see Ephesians 5. Paul says... Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And he goes on to give us the will of the Lord here. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And the contrast here is not primarily between being drunk with wine and being drunk with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit, but it's actually the outcome of the two activities. When you get drunk with wine, you are intoxicated, you have no dominion of yourself, and it's of no benefit to the community. Actually, you are a hazard to the community. The opposite is, when you're filled with the Spirit, you are a blessing to the community. When was the last time that you had an issue with a church member here, that he was drunk with wine, with alcohol. Never. When was the last time we had an issue with a church member because he was not filled with the Holy Spirit? Today? Yesterday? Last week? It's interesting. It's interesting that we hold the command to not be drunk with wine up high, but not the command to be filled with the Spirit up high. So it's okay for people not to be filled with the Spirit, but it's not okay to be drunk with wine. No, we hold both up high. That's Paul's command here. And then Paul says, look at Ephesians 5.19, Addressing, speaking, communicating to one another in sounds and hymns and spiritual songs. One of the marks of being filled with the Spirit is not rolling on the floor laughing hysterically. One of the marks of being filled with the Spirit is the singing of sound theological songs about Christ to one another. That's amazing. One of the marks that a church is filled with the Holy Spirit is their singing. Spiritual growth and maturity is shown through the songs we sing and how we view music. Notice that he says, addressing one another. And I have to disagree with the King James that says to yourselves, that's the wrong translation. It's better to dress one another, the whole context, the word itself. You are to communicate with one another through our singing and songs. And you see, that's Corporate. It's the church together. Wait a second. I always thought I was supposed to sing to the Lord. Am I supposed to sing to the Lord or to one another? The singing of praises is always directed to God as the primary audience, but there is also a horizontal dimension. The people of God hear one another singing praises to God, and their hearts are encouraged and strengthened. It's so true. It's so true. And look what he says singing from the heart. You don't come here to sing like, Are you serious? I hate singing, man. And you can tell that. You can see someone. Oh, I can see that your heart's there, brother. (laughs) Singing from the heart, your affections. What's driving you? That's what Paul says here. A heart that was transformed by God's grace. Now it's a heart that's longing to sing God's praises. People who have a hard time singing has a heart problem. It's a heart problem. Because a new heart... We long to sing praises to the lord so many people are here i like the preaching so i knew a guy who'd always come for the preaching and i'm like what's going on brother why did you come to the preaching? Oh, i love your preaching like he missed the singing the praying i'm not a big fan of that that was good i had the, the opportunity to talk to him explain to him it's all worship and as a christian he has the duty if, he, if his heart has been transformed, he has a commandment from his Lord to sing praises to him. And honestly, if you have a hard time singing here, you're going to have a hard time in eternity. But if you go through what people are doing in the heavens, go through the book of Revelation, what are they doing? Surfing? Now they're singing. Singing to the Lord. So this also helps us understand the role of musical instruments. There is a church in town where you go and at the door they give you earplugs. Do you know why? Because it's so loud, the instruments. So you go there, the first thing they have at the door is earplugs. Why? Because it's really loud, the instruments. You cannot hear other people's voices. The whole point of singing is to hear one another. We are to sing to one another. We are to hear each other's voice, looking at each other, encouraging, exhorting and comforting with the songs we sing. You see, we tend to view singing as me, so it's about me, it's about us, we, we sing to one another, we encourage one another, we comfort one another with our singing, and that's why we must be singing sound theological songs, that's why we need to be attentive, what are we singing here, is that the word about Christ that we are singing? As we we express our love towards the Lord through our songs and express our love for one another through the singing of hymns and spiritual songs, the heart of the Lord is filled with joy and the Holy Spirit starts to stir us up, filling us with His presence and controlling our lives. Life in the Spirit is not a life in solitude, it's a life in community that implies the listening of the preaching together and the singing to one another together. First Peter two nine, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That's your identity, and here is your duty that you may declare the praises of Him. How is your singing? See, I'm not asking are you gifted with singing? Do you have a nice voice? Do you have a good voice? But how is your singing? Why do you sing, or why don't you sing? We need to think about these things. The Bible commands us to sing to one another. As a Christian, a person growing to the image of Christ, you are to come to church dressed with the garments of compassion, humility, kindness, and prepare to sing songs that exalt Jesus and build up the church. Do you prepare yourself to sing to one another? Do you write down the names of the songs and listen during the week so you can get familiar with the songs? So you don't need to be reading all the time. Actually, you can look at someone and sing the songs to one another. Isn't that alien Isn't that foreign to our church experience? Why? You say I need to sing to one another? Yes, because the Lord is saying that. How do you prepare yourself to do that? Prepare your heart. And then moving to chapter 4. Another responsibility and privilege of praying together. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Part of our worship as a congregation is, is the time of corporate prayer. Think about the New Testament. All the imperatives for prayer is in the context of a local church. Yes, we apply that to ourselves, personally. But you you read the letters of the New Testament, they're talking about a church. The church praying together. It's interesting that Paul calls the local churches to devote themselves to prayer. Look at that. Continue steadfastly, or as the NIV says, devote yourselves to prayer. It's a duty. It's a responsibility. Throughout the book of Acts, we see over and over again the church praying together. Go to Acts. Let's go to Acts, really, briefly. Acts chapter 2. And you remember, you've got to be always careful with with narrative. When you're reading narrative, you've got to always be careful. Because not everything that's being described... It's prescribed. But when you see the Lord's blessing behind that description, that implies that should be prescribed to the church. There's something that you read and you see God's blessing there and then you see Paul and the other uh, New Testament authors picking up those things and commanding the church. So you see that we should apply certain things. It's not just because it's a narrative that you just say, Oh there's no use, it's just a narrative. No, there are very important principles for us. And we come to chapter 2, verse 42. Look at what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, listening to the preaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and it's important here, the prayers, their prayers. Not just prayers, but their prayers. You see a definite article in front of prayers there? It implies that they had scheduled prayer meetings. It's definite prayer meetings that they had. And the whole church would gather together to pray. The early church had times that they would give themselves for the prayer as a church, as a congregation. And you see that they're all devoted to the entirety of the, the life of the church. It's interesting, Paul is always asking the churches to pray for him. Think about Paul, the Apostle Paul. Signs and wonders and miracles, healings performed by his hands. Second Corinthians twelve, he tells us he went to heaven and he saw a vision. And yet, over and over and over again he tells the churches to do what for him. Pray for me. Pray for us. Why? Because he knows the power of corporate prayer when the church prays together. James says, James five sixteen, let's talk about life in the church. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That you may be healed. That's interesting. Could there be that there are people in the church in need, in affliction, in suffering, in pain, because you have not been giving yourselves to pray for them? That's the implication here. Pray for one another, and what? And God accomplishes. That's what Luke was talking about about that song. God used our prayers to bring about His actions. James implies that there are people in the church who will not, who will only get better. When the church gathers together to pray for that person. And just think about the aspects. I think about Wednesday nights when we pray together. The aspect of rejoicing with one another in our prayer times. Mourning, crying with one another. Those are things that we experience only during the time of prayer. Where we are sharing our hearts. Where we are asking one another. Hey, can you, can you take me? Can you help me to go to the throne of grace? I need your help. Can you pray for me? James Hamilton, he writes, A biblical theology of corporate prayer teaches us that God's people will become what they are, united in Christ, as we learn to speak to the Lord together. Speaking together, after all, trains us, trains the desires of our hearts to be united in faith, united in hope, united in love. Corporate prayer in the church requires the church to agree to be with all division. That's the whole purpose of a Amen. Amen. I agree, Lord. Let it be. You're not going to say that if the church is divided. So when we pray together, we show our unity. Amen, Lord. I'm with him. Our hearts are united in this. To be of the same spirit, the same mind. It's one way the church stands firm in one spirit. And with one mind, strive side by side for the faith. Let me ask you, how important is corporate prayer in your life? How important is. Corporate prayer. Praying with the church in your life. How much do you prioritize the scheduled times of prayer in this local church? How much do you long to come here by 9.30 so we can pray together? How much do you long to be on Wednesday night at the prayer meetings? So we can pray for one another. What sacrifice are you willing to make together, together to have corporate prayer? It's amazing. You read all these books about prayers and they don't talk about corporate prayer. It's all about individual Prayer. I think Nine Marks has released a book on corporate prayer, I believe, I don't know. But you don't find that. And it's a duty, it's a responsibility of Christians in a local church to be together as a church praying. Think about prayer. Think about prayer. When you pray, you show dependence. You show humility. right? You're coming to the Lord. So a church that prays is a church who is truly humble. The prayer meeting of a church shows... The spiritual level of that church. A church that thinks that they don't need to pray together. What are they saying? I'm fine, thanks. Well, Spurgeon who said the prayer meeting, the prayer gathering of a church is the thermometer of that church. How much they love Christ. How much are they willing to submit themselves to Christ. Think about church, uh, Spurgeon. He was famous for being the prince of preachers. But the Metropolitan Tabernacle, every Monday night, was crowded with people because they had the prayer meetings on Monday nights. I think it was D. L. Moody. He was asked once. He went to London to see Spurgeon preaching. Somebody asking, "So, so, how was the preaching of Spurgeon?" He said, "Better than that. I heard him praying as a church. We don't see that anymore. I need to praise you guys, the members of this church. Most of you, faithfully, faithfully, every Wednesday night. And I tell you over and over again, I'm so." So feel this joy with their commitment to pray together as a church on Wednesday nights, because that shows the, the spiritual maturity of this church, dependence, humility on God. And last, and we finish here, the responsibility and privilege of partaking the ordinances together. What are the ordinances? The word ordinance comes from the word order, and in church we use the word ordinances for the two major uh, ceremonial. Orders that Jesus gave to His church. Water baptism and what? The Lord's Supper. Okay, So that's what we call the ordinance. Water baptism and the Lord's Supper. And it's very clear as you go through the Scriptures that it's commended. It's not an option. Baptism is commanded, Water baptism. And the same with the Lord's Supper. I spent time as you were walking through the Gospel of Mark, especially in Mark 14. I talk a lot about the Lord's Supper, so I'm not going to do that. Just briefly reminding you the importance of water baptism. We believe that water baptism is for those who have been saved, those who are part of the new covenant. And it's the public declaration. It's the first step in declaring that you belong to Christ, that you have died with Christ that's why you're buried under the water and then you're raised again and you're declaring, I was buried with Christ. I died with Christ. Now I'm raised with Christ. I belong to Him. I mean Him. Therefore, I belong to His body. That's why you cannot have baptism outside church. That's weird. That's wrong. You're declaring that you died with Christ. That you belong to His body and now you're just wandering around. You don't even have a church. Who's What's going on here? And it's it's a church ordinance. People are watching you. People are celebrating. Yes, we can see the fruits of the Spirit in this person's life. We can see that Jesus saved him. Yes, we want him to be part of our family, of our body. So if, the Lord, if baptism, water baptism is the first step declaring that you belong to the body, the Lord's Supper is a continuation. It's a continuation. You're proclaiming over and over again that you belong to that body. That's why it's so important, church Discipline, excommunication. If a person is not living as a Christian, he must be excommunicated of a church and not partake of the Lord's Supper and not proclaim that he's part of the body because he's not living like a Christian. And that's why it makes no sense for people who are not part of a church to partake of the Lord's Supper. Because Paul says, and I have it right here, the cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So as we are celebrating the Lord's Supper, and we are going to do that right now, we are proclaiming to each other that we belong to Jesus, we belong to His body, therefore we belong to one another. That's the whole point. That's why Paul says, wait for one another. First Corinthians chapter uh, 11. Wait for one another when you are going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And sadly, I've seen some churches, and I understand there's a good motive, a good motivation behind, but it's not biblical. I have been in churches where we're going to start the Lord's Supper, we're going to celebrate the breaking of bread, and they are dividing families. Each family goes to a side of the church. You are dividing the church. The whole point is for us to partake together as a church, wait for one another, proclaim to one another, we are one body. Not to segregate this family there, this family here, this. And I understand. Uh, uh, A little bit. I try to understand the the importance of family. But, brother and sister, it's the family of Christ they are dealing with here. But that's corporate worship. And let me ask you, when you know every first Sunday of the month we have the Lord's Supper, does that affect your schedule? Do you prioritize to be in church to celebrate the Lord's Supper? Are you willing to rearrange your schedule so you can be in church to celebrate the Lord's Supper? Where it's so profane for you that you don't even care anymore? If I told you, hey, guys, we're going to be baptizing someone tonight. Would you drop everything to come to church to have the water baptism? To celebrate the ordinance of baptism? Is that important in your life? You see, those are duties, those are responsibilities for our lives as Christians. Listening to the preaching, singing, praying, and partaking, partaking the ordinances of the Lord Jesus And that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And I think it's important for us to think about that and remember that's a corporate worship aspect of our church. We partake together. We are declaring to one another, the Lord saved me. Through His blood, we were not a people, but now we are a people, the people of God. It's a communion. That's why I say communion. It's fellowship with the body. So as the men are passing the elements, I would like to invite you to just take some time to be thinking about the things, praying to the Lord, meditating, reflecting as we come to His table.